Lecture 2, Part 1 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 2 Why Man is Made to the Image of God. Part 1 Jesus said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They say to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Matthew chapter 22 The coin of the realm is the creation of the sovereign. It proceeds from his authority and is called in by his authority, in token of which it bears his image and the inscription of his name. The soul of man is the spiritual creation of God, and what is incomparably greater, the soul is created for union with God, of which she bears the sign in the image of God and in the inscription of his law, graved with light upon her spirit. The image and name of the sovereign are cast on perishable metal, but whilst the metal lasts, it asserts his sovereign claim. The soul received from God bears his image and his law, the signet of his sovereign claim upon that soul. The coin of the sovereign bears his image on the surface. The image of God is in the inmost constitution of the soul. The soul herself is that image, and the light of God's law sealed therein is the direction of the soul to her divine original. Let us make man to our own image and likeness. In these creative words we read the constitution of the human soul. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind this is the interpretation of the law written within the soul the inscription explains the image it is an obvious principle that whatever is made is the subject of its maker it is another universal principle founded in the nature of things that whatever is made is made for something greater than itself the inventor of a machine makes it for the use and service of man. The builder of a house looks to man's accommodation. The planter of a tree has his own use or pleasure in view. The artist makes not his picture for itself, but to give instruction and delight, to awaken the feeling of beauty or sublimity in the human mind. The author has not the book for his end, but the enlightenment of his readers. All material things are for the service of spiritual life, that the meat is for the body, and the body for the life, is beyond dispute or question. That the soul of man is made for something far greater than herself every one can see who chooses to compare what the soul is with what the soul desires she has the capacity for infinite things she feels their attraction and her own impulse towards them her great wants 
are the measure of the great things for which she is made the principle that everything is made for something greater than itself involves the great principle of final causes the doctrine of final causes is but the expression of that principle for the final cause of anything is the object or end for which it is made or for which it is done the exclusion of final causes from scientific investigation is the destruction of what is most noble in knowledge and the cause of a great amount of that infidel theorizing which besets the scientific men of our age nothing has so much darkened the speculations of the sophists of recent times who bring up the works of god against god himself as this rejection of final causes they do not cease to exist because excluded from thought and to reject them from consideration is to strive against one of the most fundamental and indestructible principles of common sense but it is the character of sophistry to contend against common sense we cannot understand the nature of anything until we know the ultimate end for which it exists that end is both the reason of its existence and the reason of its being what it is it has some object for which it exists and it is formed and shaped with reference to that object to make anything or do anything without an object and end is to act without reason or intelligence and to be ignorant of the relations established between any subject and its final object between created beings and the ends for which god destines them is to be ignorant both of the first and of the last reason of their existence for the object or end for which anything is made is the first consideration the first intention in the mind of its maker who shapes and forms his work with a view to that end the man who devised the locomotive steam engine contemplated the rapid movement of a train of carriages from place to place this was his immediate object but his final object was to transfer passengers and goods from place to place with rapidity and security everything in the engine road and carriages was so devised as to be the most effective to this end and the end explains the construction of the engine and all the rest it was not made for itself but for the service of man i have deliberately used the name sophist instead of philosopher for those silas who reject the consideration of final ends from their investigations into the nature of things because philosophy is the love of wisdom and wisdom is concerned with the first and final cause of things or with the supreme good the distinction is a very old one and varro classed the old philosophers in writing their history according to their view of the supreme good 
that is according to their view of the final end of man and the creation but whoever rejects final causes is not entitled to be called a lover of wisdom because he rejects both the wisdom of things and the wisdom of their creator and so cannot have them in his knowledge god made the earth for man he made it for the first stage of human life and as a place of probation for a higher and nobler life in another sphere of existence the earth with its surrounding sphere supplies him with his body his habitation his nourishment his instruction his pleasure and his trials as a place of probation and discipline it must if it is to accomplish that object present him with difficulties both mental physical and moral and with obstacles to be overcome and with things to be denied as well as with things to be accepted and with pains as well as pleasures because all these things belong to probation and moral discipline and to the exercise of the virtues of which faith hope patience self-denial humility and charity are the chief but man is made for god he is therefore so formed in all his spiritual nature as to make him capable of union with god but this union he obtains as a free agent and by using the means which god puts at his disposal these means are partly natural and partly supernatural the natural being subordinate to the supernatural which alone can bring him to his final end god is therefore the final as well as the first cause of man and it is this which explains his nature and gives to him his nobleness and as the inferior creation was made for the service of man and man was made for god god is the ultimate end of all things hence the scripture says that god made all things for himself nothing demands to be more carefully distinguished than the difference between intermediate objects and ends and the final object and end of man because intermediate ends are but the means placed at our disposal to help us towards our final end all moral errors spring either from our taking intermediate objects for our final end or from taking the wrong means for gaining our final end we either blindly mistake the one true and final object of our soul in practice choosing the less good for which we were not made for the greater good for which we were made or we take other means of our own choosing in place of those which god has provided and which alone are effective to bring us to god as our final end but in either case we become failures the whole wisdom of things is in their final end which is the first and last reason of their existence 
without this knowledge we are incapable of rising to the grandeur of god's eternal plan and have no key to his providence we cannot understand the divine patience that waits upon the works of his wisdom and gives to the things of time their due course of time to obtain their ultimate results in eternity looking at each thing or each order of things in their mere subjective condition and as though they were isolated whereas they are all related our minute philosophers having no wise regard to their final ends are mentally engaged in separating all that god has united in mutual relations and just dependencies and destroy the cosmical order of the universe this is the mortal weakness that cleaves like a blinding veil to a great deal of modern science than which nothing has done more to bring down the minds of men from their just elevation and to eclipse their views of the amplitude and the splendor of god's design and the creation not only do these minute philosophers make an isolation between the creation and its final cause but they isolate it from its history whether the records thereof be human or divine and so reject the study of god's providence yet are they ever ready with their small facts and large imagination to reconstruct both man and the universe let us return to the final cause of man and consider how god has prepared his nature for its final end the difference between what we are at this moment and what with our inmost aspirations we long to be must be measured by our capacity how wonderful is the capacity of the human mind for truth who can circumscribe its boundaries it extends over worlds and their contents over time and its histories over science with all its facts and theories it reaches up to truths that are infinite unchangeable and eternal but how comes a creature so limited in time place and substantive existence and so changeable withal to obtain perception of eternal and unchangeable truth we see that truth as from a distance we salute its presence from afar off we desire its nearer approach we confess that we are still far away from its perfect illumination and yet this eternal truth seems less distant from our mind and from our power of understanding our will that free and spontaneous power of the soul to desire to resolve to act and to love in our present condition is in some respects more capacious than our mind its object is both truth and good and we can desire more truth than we see and long for more good than the truth we know reflects to us the object of the will is unlimited good unlimited truth is welcome therefore to the will as the bright shadow cast towards us from unlimited good 
awakening our desire for its presence the light of faith is the argument of eternal things unseen hope stretches with desire towards those things unseen and love embraces the eternal good as yet unseen with the desire of possession the love for eternal good reveals both the capacity and the appetite for that good makes us wise in the judgment of the truth that leads to that good and wise in using the means that advance us to our supreme good our capacity of soul therefore for loving infinite good is in no wise more limited than our capacity of mind for infinite and eternal truth yet by a certain contact of soul with the grace of eternal good we can often embrace more with desire and love than we can see with our understanding however he may hold to the world by the body man is certainly not made for this world were it but for this reason that his soul is so much greater than this material world with all that it contains the world in fact is made for him he is housed in a mortal body that with all repairing lasts but a short time his soul ripens whilst his body decays an intellectual creature is of another order of being than things without mental light as a person among impersonal creatures there is no comparison between them the scriptures the philosophers the poets the examples of history and the whole voice of human experience unite in teaching us that after man has gained every object of ambition in this world his hopes are defeated by his success he has simply gained the knowledge that the wants of his soul are of another kind in the hour in which he enters into himself if he have such an hour the truth comes back to him with all the force of experience what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul the loss of the soul is not the loss of her existence but the loss of her good to lose that eternal good for which the soul was made is truly to lose the soul which is but a poor subject when deprived of its objective good yet the image of god in that soul cannot perish for that would be the destruction of the soul secretly or openly that image of god will make its presence known through all encumbrances and will confess its divine original even in reprobation tending towards greater reprobation if prosperity in this world fails to bring back that image to god sufferings and privations may achieve what prosperity has failed to do when this world is loved too much it obscures the image of god when loved with passion it effaces his likeness 
and as this image and likeness are the noblest qualities of manhood the very manhood of man is lowered and debased in proportion to the lowering of that image and the effacing of that likeness let us put this clearly once for all in doing which we shall borrow the language of a profound theologian the human soul created by god and capable of god finds nothing among created things however rich or beautiful that can really make her happy they cannot enter into competition with the divine goodness who is pleased in his condescension to be the one predeterminate object of human happiness if you impress the image of a seal in soft wax and then put some other kind of seal upon that which has already been deeply imprinted you will not succeed in giving that new impression but will only spoil the one already made but if you take the first seal and fit it into the impression anew it will exactly correspond in all its reliefs to the hollows left by the first impression impress that seal with greater force and the image of that seal will have greater depth and vividness so in creating the soul of man god imprinted his image upon her as with his own divine seal producing his likeness and leaving there hollows in her spiritual powers that can only be filled up and fitted to make her happy by the reliefs of his own divine perfections and whenever the impression of the image from that divine seal is renewed with greater force the form of that divine image enters more sharply into the soul and penetrates to greater depths but if you let any created thing try to seal its image in your spiritual nature so as to affect you with the attachment of a greater affection the bountiful image of god will be blurred and spoiled and the soul made neither of wax or other earthly matter will feel herself oppressed and deformed this is the reason why a man may abound in wealth and earthly delights and yet be subject to trouble disgust and sadness but what sort of happiness is that which cannot keep trouble disgust and sadness at a distance the reason of this is as clear as it is exalted and is thus expressed by st thomas the will is the human appetite and the object of the will is universal good and this is not to be found in any creature but only in god because no creature has anything more than a certain limited participation of good if man were made for this world he would not be made in god's image but in the world's image and his three concupiscences would constitute his three principal virtues which instead of disordering darkening and staining his soul as all men confess they do would be his three crowning excellences and what is horrible to imagine they would take the place of faith 
hope and charity in perfecting his character giving peace to his powers and redounding to his praise but as our soul is not made in the world's image but in god's image god alone can perfect the soul st john had this truth in view when he exhorts us in these words love not the world nor the things that are in the world if any man love the world the charity of the father is not in him for all that is in the world is the concupiscence of the flesh and the concupiscence of the eyes and the pride of life which is not of the father but is of the world and the world passeth away and the concupiscence thereof but he that doeth the will of god abideth for ever there is a simple test for proving that man is not made for himself and can never be his own good when he has separated himself from god let him be separated from this world shut him up in solitude deprive him of society of books and of external nature and he will pine and starve in misery and inanition feed him as you will and still the question will be how long his mind will last without breaking down for want of objects on which to rest why do men weary of monotony and weary the more if they have quickened their minds with large culture it is because after a short time every limited thought and object wearies the soul that is made for an infinite good man is the most dependent of all beings because his capacity is so great in comparison with what he possesses whilst his body is dependent on god's providence in a thousand ways his soul is dependent on god himself for its light and spiritual good not being an object to himself man is always in search of an object to which he may attach himself on which he may rest and in which he may find content i say content because content is fullness and fullness leaves no suffering void but man is the subject of god bearing god's signature upon him as the wax bears the image of the seal or as the mould bears the figure into which the molten gold is poured the wax is the subject to the seal the mould to the gold and man to god who alone can content him because he alone can fill his powers an empty vessel boasting its fullness is the figure of a soul that looks to herself for her completion to strive to fare well upon herself and her environment is the very delirium of human pride and reminds us of the miserable ugolino gnawing with everlasting hunger upon the bare and bleeding skull of his destroyer self-love with her hungry offspring finds but a bare table when she turns to feed upon herself and finds her chief fare in the bitter diet of disappointment 
thy own wickedness shall reprove thee says the prophet and thy apostasy shall rebuke thee know then and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing for thee to have left thy god when the soul turns herself from the divine fountain of light and the eternal source of her spiritual life and trusts to herself for light and life she suffers those pains of thirst and pangs of want that strain her spirit to the very roots and harass her with the divining fears of greater miseries to come no soul was ever made to live upon herself because man is made for god there is in his spiritual essence the rational image of the supreme life the divine intelligence and the sovereign will of god and by this constitution of his spiritual nature he is fitted and prepared to partake by grace of that good which god is by nature he is made to the image of god in his reason that he may become the likeness of god in his love in reflecting god's truth as a mirror reflects the light he reflects the order of god's law that he may delight in the virtues that make his own will resemble the will of god for god made him thus that he might know him and knowing him might love him and loving him might delight in him and delighting in him might come to the open vision of god and to that intimate union with him which is the final end of all desires wherefore the image of god is given to our nature to make us capable of god and of eternal things framed in the substance of the soul that image is a mirror but a mirror that is living spiritual and highly sensitive it is sensitive to the touches of that divine light of truth which is itself a luminous image of god it is sensitive to the touches of divine grace from the finger of god's holy spirit which gives the sense of god and thus we obtain the deeper sense of his divine presence and the more intimate consciousness of his loving communication when therefore the warmth of his charity comes with the ray of his light the soul is moved in her inward sense to ascend towards the divine author of her gifts and is gratefully inclined to return love for love the sun shines upon our mortal bodies in three beneficent elements giving light to the eyes warmth to the system and electric vigor to the nerves yet warmth comes not always with light nor energy with warmth the three elements are distinct from each other at least in the medium through which they pass so from the father of lights from whom is every good and perfect gift we receive the light of faith the life of justice and the warmth of charity the psalmist has drawn the grand distinction between the gifts where he says the light of thy countenance is sealed upon us o lord thou hast given joy in my heart 
the light seals the supernatural image of god upon the natural image already in the soul and the gladness fills that image with the joy of life in the warmth of charity again in his penitential psalm after recovery from his fall the psalmist prays create a clean heart in me o god and renew a right spirit within me he asks that his heart the seat of god's love may be created clean but for his spirit he only asks that it may be renewed in rectitude rectitude of spirit comes of right reason as hugo of saint victor observes but cleanness of heart comes of perfect charity end of lecture two part one